When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. The light in this place is really bad, like being at the bottom of a stream. Any minute now, I'm expecting to wake up from a dream. This is Bob Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fine Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the free willing, Rob Kelly. And joining us once again is my pal and fellow Bobcat, Matt Steichen. Hi, Matt. Welcome back. Happy to be back, Rob. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. It has been a while. Happy 2023. Been a little while since you've been on. The last time was to talk about uh, Mother of Muses from Rough and Ratty Ways. And if, if memory serves me well, that was before he went on the tour. So we were still we were still guessing as to what songs he might do. Uh, you know, what is he going to do any of them? Was he gonna, not realizing, of course, he's going to be doing all of them uh, every night live. Now, you how many times have you seen him on this tour? Uh, I only I saw the first two shows back, me and the crew, uh, my kids and my wife. We saw the first two shows of 2021 in uh, Milwaukee and Chicago and just transcended, uh, transcendent, especially uh, the Milwaukee show uh, really reached like heights of just draw drop jaw dropping vocals and uh, just passionate. And it was the, the atmosphere of being at that first show back where we didn't know what the set list was going to be for the first time in about 15 years. <laughs> Magical evening. That's very good. Now, when you say the kids, do all the kids or some of the kids, how's that work? Uh, the oldest three. Yeah. They've all seen four or five shows now. Wow. And yeah, <laughs> but we didn't see any in 2022. And in the last 20 years, there's been very few years where we didn't get to any in an entire calendar year. So 2023, we're really hoping Bob gets to the upper Midwest because he sort of started in Milwaukee and then went East. So we really need to cover the Dakotas and Minnesota and Montana, <laughs> and wherever we have to go to see some more. <laughs> I have to, what does the eight-year-old think of a Bob Dylan concert? They hear Bob all the time at home. So, you know, they don't have any preconceived notions. They've grown up listening to his music all along and they love it. And uh, it brings us together. I mean, we, we hear Bob around the house every day. He's really like uh, um, a very, he's very present in our house. You know, he's the books on the shelves and the posters sure. on the walls and he's, the music in there. And that's uh, normal to them. I mean, he's, they would all say that he's their favorite musician. So definitely something, uh, you know, something I would have never dreamed of when I was 16 going to <laughs> that I would be seeing Bob Dylan shows 25 years later and having a whole group of people coming with me. It's pretty amazing. It is. That's just, that's, that's just the warms, the warms, the cockles of my cold dead heart to hear that. That's just absolutely amazing. So, well, uh, I didn't uh, say it at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about dreaming of you an outtake from uh, time out of mind. And of course the bootleg series, the time out of Mind bootleg series is, uh, just a couple of weeks away at this point. Um, I don't think, have they released this, the, the, the track list? I, I can't, there was a fake yes. one. Is there a real one? It was a fake one for like two years, but there is a real one now. And it was actually really informative um, for me and uh, about this song in particular, because it shows the dates at which the different uh, outtakes were recorded and the sequence at which the album tracks were recorded. And it's uh, actually says a lot about this song in particular having that information now with background information are are there alts of this uh, coming out in that set no i think it's just the re-release from my favorite bootleg series telltale signs interesting okay all right so he kind of got this kind of in one shot uh and then they were happy with it that's really interesting okay so all right i mean we all remember this song was um kind of used as a single i mean it really it literally was issued as a single to promote the bootleg series it was given a video we'll talk about that too a uh, kind of an unusual step to for a, a bob dylan song um but uh let's talk about the song itself i mean wh- why do you want to talk about this one matt uh so many reasons really and it uh you can verify you can vouch for the fact that it wasn't chosen because of the upcoming bootleg series uh, i reached out to you a couple months ago yes because i was just in my kitchen one day and I hadn't talked to you about a song in a long time and I never really have an idea. You know, I don't have any plans of talking to you about a song, but I was just like probably doing the dishes or something. And I had a Eureka moment where (laughs) it's like this song like checks all the boxes of the kind of song I would want to talk about. Like I said, it's one of my favorite on the bootleg series Uh, and on my favorite bootleg series, uh, volume eight, telltale signs. And, uh, and it's not necessarily my favorite song, but I like it. And it's got a lot of unique elements to it. 
just like Ring Them Bells and Dark Eyes and Mother of Muses, uh, they have just a lot going on in the songs to discuss. And those are the ones that I, you know, bring to you. And uh, I think this one's got a lot of things going on in the lyrics that are interesting. And the most interesting thing about it is it's a rare example of a great finished product that was then pulled for parts and made into even greater songs with a completely different style and a completely different tones. And it ended up being used in three different songs on one of my favorite albums. Uh, so, you know, we know Bob, you know, he's got his process of taking lyric fragments and putting them in different places and testing them out. And we don't have very many examples of completed songs that he then just extracted stuff from and then left by the wayside <laughs> and the video. So clearly, yeah, you know, the video is so, uh, you know, revealing and interesting too. So all those things just made me think, well, I think I could fill up some time about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the very first line of the song, the light in this place is really bad. Uh, you know, if you're, you're like, wait, that sounds familiar. Well, because he took that line and he shoved it into standing in the doorway, right. uh, changing the uh, the modifier from from um, really to so uh, in the process. But yeah, this is this is I really love this song. And if I have any at all, any critiques of time out of mind as a record is that I wish there had been maybe a little more variance of tempo. Uh, Bob himself said that. So, I mean, I'm in good company there. I think that's the reason Love and Theft has a, a more up-tempo songs. And this is an up-tempo song. And, you know, I, I'm not going to go in and say, oh, Time Out of Mind should have been this or that. But I would have loved to have heard this. Yes, I agree with you. He obviously stripped this song for parts thematically, lyrically, all sorts of ways. And so I could see why it didn't make it onto the record. But I really like this song, and I really would have loved to have heard it on on Time and Mind. I think it would have given the, a little bit of a jolt of energy in, at certain points. Yeah, and that's what I was talking about with uh, the track listing that's been released for uh, the Fragments Bootleg series. Uh, this being the first song, I really think kind of gives you an idea of why Bob ended up not using it. Because I'm sure when it was just Dreaming of You, you thought, hey, I have a great song here. But then once he had then recorded love sick and saw how that turned out and million miles and can't wait until i fell in love with you he probably saw you know a very similar vibe going through all those songs and by that point he probably realized i've got some great pieces in dreaming of you but i could turn i could take this piece and this piece and this piece and turn it into something much more somber and that probably balances the record out a little bit and, and, you know, allows for standing in the doorway, which to me, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but it's one of his two or three modern classics. And the fact that he took a song that's nothing like standing in the doorway and took half of it and made standing in the doorway out of it is just amazing. <laughs> now, what uh, do you, from the, the track listing, when did he, was this right at the beginning of the process? Cause I, that interview that I've read and I've, I've quoted from a bunch of times, the Jim Dickinson interview from off the tracks where he talks about recording time out of mind. And it's probably my single favorite interview with anyone about Bob Dylan. He doesn't mention this song at all. He mentions Red River Shore and he mentions Mississippi, but there is no mention of Dreaming in You at all. And that made me think, well, he either just forgot, you know, in retrospect, he either forgot about it or he wasn't even there to hear this one. And maybe this was recorded that early in the process. Do you happen to know when this came about? Yeah, I haven't looked at those initial, you know, screenshots that came out when the bootleg series was first announced lately. But I think I remember correctly that it's listed as from Oxnard late 96 which means that it's one of the like just handful of things they did in California before they picked up the whole operation and went to Miami. So I think it's like one of the first or second thing that they did. That's right. They did do that. They did. They started somewhere else and then packed up and moved to Miami. So that's, that's probably what it is. Interesting. Okay. It's really, cause it does have a, a slightly different sound. Yeah. Than the other songs on the record. Uh, you know, it's again, I love the, 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 uh, the percussion on this, like, I think is, is really tremendous. I, I don't have an ear where I can like single things out like that, but I really love the, the sort of just the, the rhythm of it, that it's moving as it's going along. And he's, you know, dropping in these words and it's the way it, at certain points, like the, the symbols crash right at that, like, psh, you know, and it hits it. It's, it's very together for a, for a, um, an outtake. It's more together than I would 
necessarily think you know what i mean like it's like as you say it, it is like a completely finished piece obviously I said if they released it as a single uh they felt it was good enough to release as a single but yeah at the same time like you could see that he took parts of this song and thematically said well i can get all, like almost like a whole other song out of this part and that i guess as a on a pure craftsmanship level that's that's that that's a good way of using your creativity Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to do four, I'm going to hit four or five concepts in this one song. I can get four or five songs out of all this. <laughs> like that's, that's, you know, if you're looking to create songs, that's probably a really great way to kind of like fill the album as it were. Yeah. I love the funky drums on this thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a great ear for, you know, instrumentation either most of the time, but for this one, it really sticks out the different parts that are in it. Um, and it really creates like the dream that is a dreaming of you. It's, it's really a hypnotic thing it's got that hypnotic guitar part kind of like he does with ever if you ever go to houston where it's just dun, dun, dun. and in this song he's asking the lead guitar player to just play dun, 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 and that literally goes on the whole song and then that leaves bob open to just play his like little riffs underneath it which are very similar to the live electric guitar riffs that he would do in the late 90s where it was just like two or three notes you can hear it if you listen real closely he's just in the background with it's like those it's very subtle but it's like the interweaving of those two parts is is you know one of the underrated uh things about the way bob constructs songs is uh kind of the flow of like when one instrument it you know takes the front and then the other one kind of weaves in behind it and then the interplay between them and uh, as i was listening to it uh, those two guitar parts just like it was a classic example of how bob uses instrumentation in a really unique way and he's not asking the guitar players to play like a crazy uh, electric guitar riff it's just fits the song so perfectly and that's what he always focuses on and it's really well executed here absolutely um the the second verse is mean so much the softest touch by the grave of some child who never wept or smiled holy geez bob i pondered my faith in the rain i've been dreaming of you that's all i do and it's driving me insane now, Bob has, you know, in other songs, the whole notion of going insane has definitely been something he's returned to in a lot of songs. You know, that I mean, it, you know, it's a it's a great evocative line. Anyone can relate to it. I mean, it's a phrase we use in the culture. I mean, he's driving me insane. That kind of thing. He doesn't mean it in a literal sense. But the lyrical content uh, found here, the, the, the narrator in this song is definitely being pushed to the edge you know they're definitely and i you know i did research on this obviously as we as we do for this so uh, do for these um shows and i've seen some people say that they think that the narrator in the song that the person he is singing to is dead and that's that they're gone they're not in the other songs on time out of mind they are gone in a physical sense they're gone in a spirit they're gone and they, they've left this person but here they're dead and he is singing to a ghost. Is that is that your read on? Is that is that how it how it reads to you? I never thought of that, but now I'm going to go back and listen to it from that perspective and see. <laughs> if it works for me. Um, I'm I, I don't know about like the status of the person he's thinking about, but when I you know when the song starts, I think it's like one of his best like scene setting opening, uh, you know, opening verses. You know, the light in this place is really bad. It you wouldn't call a place you're familiar with this place, right? It's like you find yourself, like, what is this place? And then in the song, the narrator, the guy singing, he's found himself in this place where he doesn't know where he is. And there's this hypnotic music in the background. And he says, it's like being in the bottom of a stream. Like you can't breathe, you can't move or something. And it reminds me of, uh, I was lying down in the reeds without any oxygen mm. and in this helpless state. He's expecting to wake up from the dream. So he's kind of like in that half awake, half asleep mode where he doesn't like know what's reality. Am I, you know, am I sleeping? Am I awake? And there's just like, he's in this confused state. Right. And, uh, and, and what he, something he really, what that's interesting that I think he sets up here is, you know, this is more of like a, a lyrical analysis you'd see in poetry or something. Right. Which is something, you know, that Bob does. And he sets up this dynamic between the dark and the light in this, not to get all Star Warsy on it, but like, if you look at the, the song starts with the light in this place is really bad. And then throughout the song, he interweaves this imagery of light, which is like when you're in a dark room and you're trying to sleep and like light comes in 
you like you wince and it's like light it's like oh no light's coming in and then if you look at the way that he uses light in every single verse throughout the song light is streaking across the floor mm. everything in the way is so shiny today and spirals of golden haze like beams of light in a storm and then the final punchline of the song is the silent sun has got me on the run burning a <laughs> hole in my brain so until i was gonna until i was gonna talk to you about this song i'd never thought of that but it's like it seems like bob must have planned that out that he was gonna make like light the enemy of this song and light's kind of the enemy of time out of mind overall but I really like the way that he like made that dynamic in the lyrics here. Hmm. I never really considered that, but now, again, now that you've said it, I'm like, yeah, it's there. It is. It's in every verse for Pete's sakes. And he said that light is the light is streaking across the floor. Church bells are ringing. I wonder who they're ringing for. Again, another line that he ended up, uh, you know, kiping for st- standing in the doorway. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we know from. I think some of the records that have leaked, like when Bob was recording, like he loves recording late at night. That seems to be his thing. I mean, there's some anyone who's recorded 40 plus albums of, of material. There's variations, but generally, like you'll see, like he, he recorded a lot of Oh Mercy at like three in the morning. And so <laughs> that's got to be tough on the band, although they've got to be used to it at this point, but uh, tough on the producers and whoever else is there to the engineers. But uh, that's obviously something that he feels a kinship for is the creation of working on things in the in the wee hours of standing there and, and working on this stuff. So yeah, I could see why and maybe to him the 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 notion of the daylight is kind of uh like they you know they say sunlight is a great disinfectant. Maybe in this way it's like to him sunlight is antithetical to what he's for the mood he's trying to put across. And maybe he's like a vampire where it's like the dawn is yeah. breaking and that's that is that that is the enemy. I don't want the light to creak in. Yeah, the character's in a dark place here. And I think in, in Chronicles, he specifically talks about uh, the recording of O Mercy and like the atmosphere and the vibe that you get recording in the nighttime. And yeah, I think that's definitely the case on this track. Now he continues on. He says, travel under any star. You'll see me wherever you are. The shadowy past is awake and so vast. I'm sleeping in the palace of pain. I'm, tr- I'm dreaming of you. That's all I do, but it's driving me insane. Again, the the narrator is he's not is he's not subtle right like, <laughs> like he's really kind of larding it up the shadowy passes away I'm sleeping in the palace of pain I mean he's really trying to put something across to whoever he's speaking to because it's it, again it's not it's it's a lot less subtle in, than in some of the other songs and again I wonder if that's Bob just working that out for himself or again for this specific song that's what he's that's what he's trying to do for this song. Yeah, he's he's going to depressing places mentally and literally. He goes to the grave of some child, to the church where church bells are ringing for someone who died. He's going to the palace of pain. He's locked in a cage. Uh, he's it's he's kind of like uh, it reminds me of the Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. Like he's tormented. That's it. That seems to be the mental space. No matter where he goes, he can't escape these dreams that are driving him insane. And then, you know, that kind of reminds me of Poe. And I, I will uh, make one correction. These songs that get left by the wayside sometimes get uh, lyrically transcribed by somebody other than Bob later. Like, Clearly, yeah. Your Lover Now, that happened with, and it's got some hilarious mishearings by the person. And it's definitely uh, Shadowy Past is so vague and so vast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, there's got to be somebody in Bob's office has got to sit there with a, with a you know, uh, an earbud in typing this stuff you know and be like oh yeah okay the, 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 the awake that's what he said he said awake that's what it is and there's nobody to not going to track they don't listen to it as many times as people like us would no no they, i mean i wouldn't mind that job i mean again it would uh they're not going to hunt bob down to wherever the hell he is can you ask him yeah, what that you, line yeah. was that he says is he vague or awake what is he doing <laughs> yeah, i don't care leave me alone <laughs> i'm busy doing my I'm busy writing my book uh so he says uh Maybe they'll get me, or maybe they won't. But whatever it is, it won't be tonight. I wish your hand was in mine right now. We could go where the moon is white. Again, he's just lifting big chunks of this and dropping it into standing in the doorway. Yeah, and very effectively. I mean, this is a great song. Even if standing in the doorway didn't exist, I would be happy with this song. So the the uh, the next the next verse is for years they had me locked in a cage, then they threw me onto the stage. Now. And it's and it's always a little dubious to 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 parallel Bob's life with these songs because his songs are not his life and vice versa. 
although they can be at times. But I also very distinctly remember an interview he did when this record, when Time Out of Mind came out. And he talked about being, as he put it, in the wilderness during the 92, 93, 94, 95 years. Now, again, only someone who, as prolific as Bob Dylan, can release two full original records of folk covers, plus an MTV Unplugged set, plus a greatest hits record, plus tour, 100 shows a year, and still be considered out in the wilderness. But in the eyes of the, in the, in the, in the press, he said, again, I remember this interview, he said that he was, from those years, he got freed and they can never put me back in the cage. He literally said that. And so when I hear those lines, it's like, okay, that that's, he's, he's literally taking something out of his life and throwing it into this song. And the idea that he's, they threw me, I mean, threw me onto the stage. Bob Dylan's never been thrown on a stage in his life. He chooses to do all this, but the idea that he's been locked in this cage that in his mind, they put him in this box and he there he want there they wanted him to stay and now he's off doing something else so when i hear those lines it doesn't i don't know about you to me it doesn't really fit that much with the rest of the song but it's very powerful because of what i know of bob's biography yeah and this is actually one of the reasons that dreaming of you specifically reminds me a lot of rough and rowdy ways to me it sounds like it could be a rough and rowdy ways songs it's got these little nuggets of self-referential things and this piece actually almost is very similar to Goodbye Jimmy Reed when he's never took off my shoes, threw him into the crowd. He's self-referencing himself as a performer on the stage, which is something that he doesn't do that often. But he does it a lot on Rough and Rowdy Ways, and he does it here. And, uh, and Rough and Rowdy Ways and Time Out of Mind, I think, actually have a lot of DNA in common. And I think they'd have even more in common if Daniel Lenoir wouldn't have produced Time Out of Mind. I think there would have been a lot more differentiation in the arrangements, and it would have been a lot more... Uh, like rough and rowdy ways and i mean i and i said from the beginning uh when rough and rowdy ways came out i said rubicon especially reminds me of a time out of mind song and i think there's a lot of connections between these two records because in 2019 the tour before he recorded rough and rowdy ways he was playing four time out of mind songs live every single concert Mm. and bob Britt joined the band who played on time out of mind and he ended up playing on rough and rowdy ways and I think uh, the self-reference and this, and both albums have a lot of first-person songs. I think the other Jack Frost era albums have a lot more uh, characters uh, and like uh, more of a freewheel and attitude and things that aren't as specific. They're they're more kind of uh, all over the map topically. But I think uh, Time Out of Mind and Rough and Rowdy Ways are like two really focused albums, and they actually have a lot in common. Hmm. What is it about crossing the Rubicon that makes you say that? That's interesting. Uh, the vocal, for one thing, when he sings like, uh, I'll cut you up with a crooked knife. He, he's got that really airy vocal that actually sounds like it could be just like a line out of Dreaming of You to me. And it's, <laughs> it's like that kind of a, a standard blues format, which uh, there's not a lot of that in Rough and Rowdy Ways. But that song in particular, Rubicon, sounds like it sounds like Rubicon and Dreaming of You to me could be like back to back on the same album. Hmm, interesting okay um so he continues on he says some things just last longer than you thought they would and they never ever explain i've been driven of you that's all i do and it's driving me insane again i feel like that's he's talking about his his career he's talking about his life you know that that part of his life i don't think that when bob dylan set out you know, become Bob Dylan in 1961 that he thought I'll be doing this 60 years later. I'll still be doing it. I still will be needing to come up with inspiration and things like that. What do you, I mean, I love this verse a lot, but like I said, I don't think it totally fits with the rest of the song. Do you, do you feel that way? Yeah, it is. It's like the self-referential verse, right? Yeah. And actually this is the only piece that he uses for a different song, Cold Irons Bound, where he sings some things last longer than you think they will. Mm-hmm. So uses eight lines for standing in the doorway. I think two for Highlands and one in this one and one in uh, Cold Irons Bound. So very interesting the way those are plugged in. And they yeah, work. yeah, yeah. Uh, he goes on. He says, "Well, I eat while I'm hungry, drink when I'm dry, live my life on the square." Again, he used those. That's those are some of my favorite lines off of Time Out of Mind as a record. So he obviously knew they were valuable. Uh, and could be used over, you know, in another location. Because I live my life on the square. I just love that's a great flight. Even if the flesh falls off my face, again, another line he barred, it won't matter as long as you're there. 
no, that's that's the that's original to dream of you. Uh, and then he says, feel like a ghost in love underneath the heavens above. Feel further away than I ever did before. Feel further than I can take. Dreaming of you is all I do, but it's driving me insane. So, yeah, I, as you say, he really did strip mine this song for virtually everything <laughs> possible. It's really it, it it's really amazing to think that he can his mind works that way, that it's he can write something else and it is different enough that it's worthy being its own thing, but yet it has enough of the same DNA that you can type these lines and move them over and it kind of works. And that's not something he's done a lot. I think pre this, you know what I mean? Like the, the time out of mind notebook, excuse me, the uh, blood on the tracks notebooks, those verses are all kind of specific to those songs. There's, I think there's one or two examples otherwise, but generally the songs were unique, but this, the, it really Bob Dylan doesn't do concept albums, but this has that kind of feel to it where it's like almost any line could fit into any other song. Well, we've got Scott Wormuth to thank for that because we know <laughs> that the nineties was when Bob started reading uh, different authors and just like taking segments of them that he could like, and, and put wherever he wanted. Um, and, and I, apparently that book by Henry Rollins was very much in the vein of time out of mind, very like dark and depressing. Um, but I think time out of mind, often it gets referred to as a mortality album, like an old man's reflection on mortality. But I think it's more about like the depression and jealousy and disillusionment caused by aging. I'd trade places with any of them in a, in a minute if I could. And uh, I actually talked to Nancy Cobb about this on my podcast, that really this whole album kind of sounds like like desperate pleas by like a really a jealous and like depressed guy kind of, and she called it actually, she called it the, his OJ album, which I never thought like <laughs> Nancy, what do you mean OJ album? But then when I started to look at it and she started to talk about it, like these are all, I'm just going to read six or seven of these. These are all lines that are on time out of mind. Don't know if I saw you, if I would kiss you or kill you. I see silhouettes in the window. I watch them till they're gone and they leave me hanging on to the shadow. Like, is he in the bushes? What's he doing there? <laughs> Uh, if I ever saw you coming, I don't know what I might do. I'd like to think I could control myself, but I don't think it's true. That's how it is when things disintegrate. Mm. My love for her has taken such a long time to die. One look at her and I'm out of control. Some things in life you can never kill. And when you start thinking that those are all in the same album, it's like this isn't so much about mortality. It's more about like anger and bitterness. And that even makes you think like, there's nothing I wouldn't do to make you feel my love starts to sound kind of sinister, you know? I can't, uh, yes. But I'm, I'm not over her, but I'm obsessed with her. And it gives the whole thing a very, you know, dark vibe. The narrator, you know, the narrator on this album is in a bad place mentally. <laughs> I've always, I will, we'll have to save this for whenever we do an episode on that song, but make you feel my love to me has a much more sinister tone to it when it's within the context of time out of mind when it's been covered 40 million times by other people and it's its own thing, it sounds romantic, but in the context of time out of mind, it's like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> He's making someone feel his love. That's not good. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes me think when I, when I'm reading back this song and, and the idea again, that the, maybe the person he's um, singing to is dead. Like, did he kill them? <laughs> you know, I mean, it could be that level. There's a lot of violence in these Dylan songs in the last 25 years, but I mean, he's feeling guilt about this, you know, he's, he's ended this person's life. Uh, but, uh, you know, and now they're gone and he misses them. Um, he mentions, uh, you mentioned the, uh, the thing about the light. He says, everything in the way is so shiny today, a queer and unusual fall. Now, is that how you hear it? Because that's in not the words I hear, hear when he sings. I hear in queer and unusual forms. Me too. Me yeah. too. Okay. All right. Cause I read that and I'm like, what? A queer and unusual fall? Is that really the line? I don't think so. But yeah, I've written in queer and unusual forms, uh, spirals of golden haze here and there in a blaze, like beams of light in a storm. Maybe you were here and maybe you weren't. Maybe you touched somebody and got burnt. Great turn of phrase. Great turn of phrase. And again, makes me think, um, the narrator is being sarcastic. Maybe you touched somebody and got burnt as if we're, he's referring to somebody else, but he's maybe saying, talking about himself. He's, he's singing to this person, you touched me and you got burnt. The silent sun has got me on the run, burning a hole in my brain. I've driven to you. That's all I do, but it's driving me insane. So 
I mean, man, it's again, it's it's I would again I'd love to know the where he was when he I don't mean that in a literal sense, but like where he was mentally when he recorded this. I don't ever get the sense that when Bob Dylan talks about this stuff that he's ever as you know on edge as his characters are. I think he's right. I think he's playing a character. He's right, he's creating a character to a certain extent. But he obviously was in a sort of a bad state of mind to even conjure all this. And you know, you gotta you gotta wonder like, is it is it like like a blue song where if he, he he's better for having gotten it down? And I almost wonder because this was so repurposed for other songs, did this was this ever going to get used? Like, was it almost almost like an exercise? Like, let me put this down and get it out, and then we'll move on to something else. Because the fact that there are no, as far as we know, outtakes of this, that seems very unusual for him that they would do it do it in one. And then never get back to it again. So I almost wonder, did he was it always intended to just be a kind of exercise for him in the band? And then think, the idea uh, was move on to other stuff. No, I think he's got his skill as being a wordsmith, right? And I think there's certain songs, like we talked about last time, Mother of Muses, that where he's conveying a much more personal idea of how he really feels. But I think his skill probably is that he can convey something this dark when he's probably not feeling even uh, very close to that level of darkness. He's just like able to convey it with his words. And that's kind of his skill. Cause I, he's, you know, in, in the in mid nineties, his career was getting a little bit better. I mean, he, he, he was, you know, the live performances were going well and he's still a millionaire sitting in Malibu. So I don't <laughs> think it's ever in the state of mind that the character in this song is in. <laughs> um, you know how I uh, get obsessed, Rob. Sometimes on Twitter, I post really random lyric ideas. There's two words here in these last two verses that I really delved deep into because I just thought they were really interesting words to use. And so I kind of dug into like why he used them and how often he used them and that stuff. So the first one is where he sings, feel like a ghost in love. You had talked about how maybe the person he's singing about is dead. I'm wondering like if he's singing this from the point of view of someone who's dead mm. or if he's just using that as like a, you know, an idea that he's not actually physically dead, but mentally dead. But so he's used ghosts in his songs. Lots of times the ghost of Bell star, the ghost of electricity, Lenny Bruce's ghosts. But this is the first song where he ever referred to himself as a ghost. Hmm. And I posted the picture today on Twitter of like the time out of mind inner sleeve where he does look really ghostly. And this is the part of you know, that when he was in his late fifties and then late nineties is when he started to kind of look ghostly. Is and that the you, photo that's like blurry? It's that's super yes. out of focus. Yeah. yeah, it's blurry and he's pale and he's got like a ghostly look. <laughs> the first song where he ever referred to himself as, as a, a ghost in love and whatever that means, I don't know if it's like, uh, you know, I don't know what the, what ghost in love is, but uh, I think he was very started to be very aware of his. I mean, he's always been aware of his image that he puts out, but oh, he, yeah. you know, he didn't want his pictures in concerts and stuff because he probably is a self-conscious guy and he didn't want those photos floating around. And, and so he sings uh, the ghost of our old love and standing in the doorway. So he keeps that imagery in and he just changes it slightly. But then the next time he uses ghost is in st- uh, spirit on the water. He sings, I'm as pale as a ghost holding a blossom on a stem. You ever seen a ghost? No, but you've heard of them. So mm. he once again uh, refers to himself being pale as a ghost. But then what does he do at the end of that song? He's like, you know, I may be as pale as a ghost, and past my prime, but let me see what you got. So he's like, he's defending himself. Like, even though I look ghostly, you know, I still, I still got it. And then it comes, it comes full circle in false prophet. When he sings, you don't know me, darling. You never would guess I'm nothing like my ghostly appearance would suggest. <laughs> so that's how connect this song, dreaming of you to spirit on the water, to false prophet in Bob's use of himself as the ghostly person. So I just thought that was really interesting. And then um, the other one, which I posted about t- on Twitter about a little bit, is his use of the word brain here in the last line of the song, because he's he's used brain a few times in his early songs. But in the last six albums, he's used the, the word uh, brain 17 times, which I, as I was looking into the song, I started to notice that like his modern songs have the word brain in them a lot. My brain is so wired. Uh, I'm burning a hole in my brain. And when he won his time out of mind Grammy, he said that, Robert Johnson said this stuff, we got to bust your brains out. Mm-hmm. So uh, brains has been like a reoccurring uh, theme in his modern work. And, uh, and so I even charted it out on Twitter where he had <laughs> like a 20 year lull where he didn't use the word brains in songs at all. And then <laughs> time out of mind is like the, 
the brains era, the start of the, the Jack Frost era could just be the brains era. <laughs> I'm picturing you in that always sunny meme, meme, you know, with the, the cork yeah. board and all the pants yeah. up and the thing. Yeah. But uh, that that's well done, man. I love that connection to false prophet. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, sometimes it just strikes me, you know, like it's when he uses a word he hasn't used since the 60s or when a word starts to be like, like in a lot of different songs. It's very interesting. Like he's making the decisions on those things. And, you know, for whatever reason, he thinks brains is more evocative than mind or, you know. Um, yeah, anyway. There's something very physical about brain. Yeah. Because the mind, of course, is a, is a, is a theoretical concept. Right. But when you think brain, it can be the literal organ. You know, it, I think it has a kind of more just kind of grimy sort of feel to it than mind, even though the name of the record is Time Out of Mind, not Time Out of Brain or anything. But, uh, you know, I mean, there's just something about it. Now, um, now the version of this that appears on the video is obviously edited down because this is a fairly long song and they're not going to do that for the video. The video cuts it about halfway through. Um, the The video was directed by Tom Zimney who, if you look him up on IMDb, has dozens and dozens of music video credits, almost exclusively for Bruce Springsteen. He seems to be Springsteen's go-to guy because it's like almost everything Springsteen has shot in video form in the last 20 years has been shot by this uh, Tom Zimney guy. This is his only Dylan credit, as far as I could see. And it features Bob's old pal, Harry Dean Stanton, as a Bob Dylan bootlegger. So... In terms of the theme of the song, it really doesn't have, I don't think it has a whole lot of connection, but it obviously is directly connected to the fact that this is on the bootleg series. Now, Bob and Harry Dean Stanton go back a long way. Harry Dean Stanton was in Pat Garrett and was in Ronaldo and Clara, and they've been friends. And Harry Dean Stanton, uh, outside of a Woolbury, is one of the few people on earth who can say they were in a band with Bob Dylan. Right. Because they were in the oh, Chopped yeah. Liver. Yeah, <laughs> that- yeah. He played fundraiser thing, yep. He did that fundraiser, which you can find video for. You can hear Bob playing the recorder, right? I think he's playing the recorder, and that's him, his son-in-law, Pete Himmelman, and and Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, so, you know, obviously, again, they, they go way back. Uh, the video is a lot of fun, you got to say. For for Dylan heads like us, it is, it's him having to laugh at our expense in a lot of ways. And so I really like the, the video quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons I want to talk about this song is because the, the the video almost gives the song a whole new meaning and it gives us a window into Bob's view of his own mystique and all and like the weird world of Bob Dylan fandom that we're entrenched in. And it kind of gives us an idea of like how much he really knows about that. I mean, he knows it exists, but not only that, there are so many like like little Easter eggs in this uh video it's only three minutes but i made a list of all the things that are in this video because (laughs) everything that's in here either bob or bob's people like had to bring in as a prop like (laughs) so we're we're talking live concert footage that's only ever been on youtube so stuff that's not owned by the dylan camp or is all over the video newspaper clippings about bootlegs concert posters set lists bootleg cases tour maps uh stickers on the luggage the bootleg real machine references to jokes Bob has told live, like windshield vipers, uh, venue seating charts and ticket stubs. And like that, they got all that in the video. Like that's the, like the Dylan Twitter, like that's all the stuff that like all these people are obsessed with. And it's so cool that like Bob or at least Bob's team, like they're acknowledging that there's this subculture of people that are obsessed with Bob like this. (laughs) I was charmed that some of the bootlegs that you see Harry Dean Stanton holding are real bootlegs. Like they're bootlegs that I own, you know, they're like, they actually went, they didn't make up their own. I mean, maybe some of them are made up, but some of them are genuinely ones that you could buy online or, you know, record stores or whatever, which I thought was funny. Now the video, again, I've seen interpretations of the video saying that the only thing that the Harry Dean Stanton character can connect with anymore is the music. Because, like, we see him in the diner and, like, he just seems like, uh, I mean, first of all, he looks like Harry Dean Stan, who always looks like a ghost, pretty much always. But I took it, when I watched the video, I took it as this is Bob's cheeky comment on his fans in that there are people out there who are so obsessed with cataloging every micron of what he does that they've lost the plot. That they don't enjoy it anymore. And now it's just an obsession that they are 
that they they are now a slave to because I get the sense by simply casting Harry Dean Stanton and looking the way Harry Dean Stanton does again and he's in that fedora and he just looks like a dead man that this is a guy who doesn't even he doesn't even know what he's doing anymore he's just doing it out of habit it's not I don't get the sense this guy loves Bob Dylan anymore other than he's just obsessed with it but I mean is that was that your read on that video uh, yeah, I mean, if if you want to believe that Bob had like specific commentary that he wanted to get across in the video, it's like this character is so pathetic because he's, his obsession is keeping him from this woman. They show the woman on the first verse when Dreaming of You is driving him insane. And then on the rest of the uh, rest of the video, it's Bob that he's thinking of and driving right. him insane. And and right when they show Bob on one of the and on that part of the song, travel under any star, you'll see me wherever you are. Like I think that guy, I think Harry Dean's thinking about Bob in that moment. Like, <laughs> where he goes under the stars, he's gonna go to see Bob, and uh, you know it gives the song a whole new meaning when you watch it with in that with that video. I think, yeah, the, the character's obsession is keeping him from this woman, and it's like destroying his life. And, you know, he's sitting there strumming the guitar along to Bob and singing along to the song. And he's, you know, drawing up the tour map on where he's going to follow Bob to. <laughs> and you have to think that to some extent, yeah, it's a commentary on like, look how, you know, look how worn out this man is. And he's missing out on, you know, his true love because he can't stop following Bob around the desert. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and of course, what is Bob? What is Bob selling with this video? The bootleg series, which only us diehard fans really care about. So he's 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 literally having his cake and eating it too. And that he's sort of he's he's sticking his finger in our eye and he's selling it back to us. And we're like, yeah, let's yeah, Bob, here's our money for that. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much Harry Dean in that video. Now give me the next bootleg series. <laughs> you gotta love it uh you know bob uh, contrary to some people writing online he's not a grifter i would say i think bob is uh we are all fully aware of what we're doing in this um sort of parasitic relationship in some ways but yeah it's a really fun it looks beautiful by the way like it's just a beautifully shot piece um it is a little discordant the the uh the, the video footage of Bob, because it is so bad, like it is so grainy, but it also, again, it's a bootleg. It's meant to give it that kind of, you know, feeling this is the stuff that the guy is uh, trading in. But yeah, I just thought, I remember the, again, the first time I saw it and I thought, oh, this is really funny and really charming that it's always fun to hear Bob kind of acknowledge his own legend around him because oh. you never know whether how how aware of it he is. And then you're like, oh, okay, here they're having a laugh, you know, that it's like, yeah, this is, this is, this is what these people do. And, you know, I was there, I, I was old enough. I remember making cassettes and making labels and stuff like that. I mean, so I'm guilty of that. Yeah. Slaving away, putting a stamp <laughs> on the, on the outside of the album and looking completely like, uh, worn out by life because you're trying to keep up with this hobby. And you know. <laughs> that's, a, that was the thing I learned about. Uh, after I started finding record stores that had bootlegs and I was just buying every one of them and spending every dollar in my pocket. And then I kind of was like, I don't know. Do I need another, do I need another 10 live concert bootlegs? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think I'm good with maybe one or two, you know, like I don't need to hear another 17 versions of Mr. Tambourine Man. I think I'm okay. I think I kind of was able to, you know, cut it off a little at that point. But here I am getting more Bob Dylan books and more Bob Dylan albums for Christmas, even though I have them all on cassette and CD and record. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I might have done that. But here I am also spending uh, every uh, several hours a week recording a podcast about them. So, you know, I'm just as I'm no better than I was years ago. Just take it a different form. Um, So live performance wise, zero. This is, of course, never been done live as much as you can ever guarantee anything with bob it's almost guaranteed this will never be done live because as you're as we've been talking about i I, it seems safe to assume that bob doesn't even regard this as a a really a a finished song it really was a building block to other things so there almost be no purpose in doing it live you never know you never do know but i would i think this is a safe bet that this is the only version of this we're ever going to hear well, Rob, I'm going to object to that, and I'm going to nope. make the claim that it's been played about one fortieth of one time. If you want to listen closely, oh, all right. So, in 2000 in Newcastle, during "Standing in the Doorway," Bob sang the following. Let me cue it up. See if you can hear it. 
You get that? He said light in this place is really bad. Yeah, that's a line from uh, Driven of You. <laughs> now, you know, how long have you been sitting on that? You discussed, did, you, did you notice that the first time you heard it, or was this in, uh, in research for this? No, I think I just remember hearing a stand-in in the doorway where he sang that, and then once I knew we were going to talk about this, I figured, well. All right. Well, go. okay. That, that's... Uh, I. I I admire the dexterity of that dude thinking to think of that, but uh, has he ever not, we don't Has he done that version? I mean, has maybe he just decided to slot that he went back to it and he's like, you know what really is actually better than so I'm going to make it really again. I haven't listened to all the standing in the doorways, but that's a very famous version of it. So I remember it just because it was, it's a good video and audio quality. So, and I remember they sang that line in Newcastle. So interesting. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So, well, like you said, we're, the, the, there's not going to be another version of this. So maybe this was just a sort of a one and done. It does seem it seems surprising to me they would be this kind of tight on this on the first take, and then boom and be done. Maybe there were some false starts that they never even bothered to record. But yeah, this is a terrific song, and it I I enjoy it as its own piece, even though. Clearly, it's again. It's it was meant to be used for other songs. I still really enjoy it as its own thing, and uh, it's, it's just a terrific, terrific song. And again, with you know, the guy, Telltale Signs, I think for a lot of people is their favorite bootleg series. You say yours, it's mine. It's my favorite of all. Maybe volumes one through three has the edge just because it was the first, and it's got series of dreams on it, which is my all time favorite. But Telltale Signs is so good. So every time there's a new bootleg series. Uh, he's like, you never know what you're going to get. So yeah, we're all very excited about the fragments uh, coming soon. So yeah, I uh, think it's an, un, it's an unrepresented or underrepresented era. I mean, I don't really need another co- a 1964 concert or like, right. <laughs> I've heard all that stuff to death, but Bob, his career spans 60 years and basically the last 30 years of it's represented by just telltale science. It's got live performances and uh, and Bob got much tighter, like you said, with studio stuff in the 90s and, and since then. So we don't have a lot of outtakes for that stuff. So that's, you know, the big fans. That's what we're hungry for is our never ending tour bootleg series and uh, fragments. Hopefully will be great. Yeah, I mean, good Lord. Uh, just a couple of days ago, he did that interview uh, with Jeff Slate where he goes out of his way to mention a song that nobody's heard. The You Don't Say. I wrote a song called You Don't Say. And he knows at this point, we know we don't, we haven't heard that song. So now we know there's even other songs out there that we, that we don't know about. So, you know, I'm going to imagine that it's exactly like, it's all good. Fine. You know, okay. Every, every Uh, verse just ends with, ah, but you don't say. Yeah. (laughs) I hope so. I can't wait. Can't wait to hear it. Wait for that bootleg series in 20 years. So uh, Matt, well, thanks. Thanks so much for coming back. It's been, it's been, uh, been a while. And uh, so why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Uh, Sure. Bob Dylan stuff uh, on uh, Twitter at Matt underscore Stike, M-A-T-T underscore S-T-I-K-E. Um, I'm going, uh, I'm writing a portion of an upcoming book with Keith Miles. Uh, he does the Troubadour Tales series. He did, uh, Bob Dylan sites in New York, Bob Dylan sites in London. And, uh, now he's going to do a, a Bob Dylan in Minnesota book. And basically we just know each other through Twitter, but I've been, you know, producing content for a, a book about Bob Dylan's life in Minnesota for like 10 or 15 years. And I never really had an outlet for all of the information that I wanted to, uh, put down and share. And uh, we kind of connected through Twitter, uh, the great Bob Dylan fan community there. And and now uh, myself and Mark Perkansky and Paul Metza here in Minnesota are going to, uh, we're in the process right now of putting together this book, uh, Troubadour Tales, Bob Dylan in Minnesota. Um, and really just uh, my portion of it is just uh, providing pictures uh, from Duluth and Hibbing and the sites that Bob uh, was around when he was here and then uh, a little bit about, uh, you know, Minnesota references and Bob's work and how growing up here impacted, uh, you know, his experiences in the world and how he sees the world and, and uh, how it shaped him and, and how it's, uh, you know, kind of helped him build his creativity growing up here and, and eventually allowing him to share that all with the world. So looking forward to that coming out too. That's very cool. It's very exciting. Uh, now, the last time you were on, uh, I had a different exit question. 
than the one I'm doing now. So I haven't had a chance to ask you this. So I'm going to ask you what, uh, what, what Bob recording session would you want to sit on? If you could pick one out of, out of everything out there, what would you uh, want to have listened to? Well, I will just go ahead and tie this directly to what I was just talking about, uh, Bob's uh, history with Minnesota and to say the blood on the track sessions uh blood on the tracks is you know i might be in the minority but it's not one of my favorite five bob dylan albums even though it's probably one of the greatest albums by anyone ever uh you know i've i listened to street legal way more than blood on the tracks for example um but just uh, having talked to the band members like kevin odegaard and billy peterson and those guys uh and heard them tell the stories of this you know magical two days over christmas break in 1975 where they were plucked from obscurity and basically told like, hey, Bob Dylan's in town. He wants you to drive over here right now and record an album. And like the stories I've heard them tell about that experience, like to me, I think it would be much more exciting than seeing Bob with a bunch of like big time studio guys. Like these were two guys, these were a bunch of guys that were, you know, they played on albums, but they also just like recorded commercial jingle soundtracks and stuff. <laughs> and And the stories that they have of like what it was like to be in the room and to kind of be summoned to be there and be Bob's backing band. Uh, that would be just an amazing thing to actually see happen and see how it matches up with their memories. Uh, and also there's no outtakes. Um, when they released more blood, more tracks, it's all the New York outtakes, all the Minneapolis outtakes have been supposedly lost to history. Um, but they, you know, they recorded the album takes of tangled up in blue and idiot wind and mm. Lily Rosemary and the Jack of hearts. And if you see her say hello, and it, I, they, apparently did all those songs several times or at least a couple times each and those recordings don't exist so to be in the room seeing those guys hash out those performances with bob dylan like i can't imagine something more exciting that's a great answer yeah that's oh, i don't want to think about that those things are lost forever that's just ridiculous uh, <laughs> well uh awesome again matt thank you so much for for coming back i really appreciate it and of course everybody uh, if you want to find back episodes of this show go to our website findwaterpodcast.com you can subscribe to the show and any pie catcher of your choice and if you want to support the find water podcast network just please just go to patreon.com slash fw podcasts there you're going to unlock various rewards one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice so big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein. I really appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Y si Adelita te quiere ser mi novia, y si Adelita fuera mi mujer, te compraría un vestido de cera para llevarla a bailar a cualquier.